Hi, I'm Roy Rubin from R Square Adventures. And I'm panicked about the pace of transformation with AI. No banter today. We have a guest in the studio. I know. It's so nice. Roy Rubin. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, Roy. Roy's visiting for the day. We're, uh, he's, he's coming to, I would say we're doing a little Q&A with uh, the community, some of the Jewish community here in town. So he flew in today and I said, let's, let's make it a podcast. Awesome. Roy was with me on our, uh, I would say a to boys trip. Yeah. We, uh, we just got back from uh well this will be our banter before we start but we All just right. got back from south of france oh you were down there too that's yeah awesome. I roy was there because he, right. he sized up the crew and realized he could beat everybody every day and he t- he did <laughs> that's uh, awesome but yeah roy's a beast on the cycle how old are you i am 47 so he, he does have i do have 10 years on him Watching me grind, what would be the biggest surprise? Knowing the goofiness and then seeing me on a bike, what would be the biggest surprise? So I got to tell you, Howard, day five of riding, I'm hitting it pretty hard in one of the climbs. This was a climb uh, going out of Vance in the south of France. Mm -hmm. And I look back and I see Howard. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not expect that. So you did very, very well that day. Yeah, Um, that was a And you came right behind me and that was awesome. Yeah, that was a beast. Um, when did you get into cycling? So I got into cycling around 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, road biking, that is. Maybe yeah. a few years before for mountain biking. Yeah. But it's been transformative for me. I really do believe it's changed my life and I really enjoy it. It got me outside, which I always love to be. Yep. And got me to meet wonderful people along the way. Yeah, so we were introduced by Jeremy Jonker. Uh, and Jeremy... Was, how did you know Jeremy? Jeremy and I uh, knew each other uh, from our time at PayPal. Right. Um, so after I sold Magento, I spent some time at PayPal. He also knew well my partner at R Squared, Roy Ares. Okay. So we uh, we were uh, you know very much in the same circles. Yeah. Well, I want to get into the history. We've been, you've been on with Roy, R Squared Ventures, the name of your firm. So we'll get into as much as we can in a short a, a period of time. But um, Magenta, it, one of, it was fun. Like, I, I don't know. I think I wrote about it, but I'm not sure if you read it. We were canoe. We were riding with the founders of, uh, or, or the founder, I guess, of Cap, one of the founders of Cafe du Cycliste, which is a French uh, fashion cycling business, right? e-commerce company and they were of course ahead of me but i was sniffing from behind i like to just <laughs> it, it's so funny can you because i'm like are they pushing hard like i never ride at the front because i just don't want anybody to see the pain that i'm uh, so i'm always like 10 yards back 30 yards back and it just depends on their pace how far back i fall but i never if they're not i don't ask questions if people are pushing i'm hoping they're pushing as hard as they can that way it feels like I'm staying up, but I always know they're not. But anyway, so I'm, I'm running behind, and they're just, we're going up a hill, and I'm just trying not to fall off my bike. 
and you guys are chatting, you and the designer guy. I yeah. don't think he's a founder. What, what was his name? I think Olivier? Yeah, so yeah. you're talking to Olivier, yeah. and t- total Frenchman, and um, talking about e-commerce. And these guys, you know, I don't even think they want to ride with us, right? We're there, we're a customer. Distance is a company that we invested in together, which is a cycling marketplace, high-end apparel, and Cafe du Cyclist is on the site. Oh, okay. their, their products are on the site. So they think we're a bunch of American schlemendricks, which we are. So they've prejudged us. I felt like being an ugly, because, you know, they just didn't even want to be there, even though we're nice guys. How unfrench of them. Yeah, so maybe you have a different take. But anyways, they probably didn't want to be there. But Filippo, who organized our trip, is the most friendly Italian guy. And he, he got them all to ride with us. Part of the joy of these trips is we're with the natives. And this native, I, I hear them talking, and all of a sudden... They're an e-commerce company. So Magento came up in the conversation, which is powering. You could just hear the conversation change when the mic drops that he's the Magento founder. And so what was that like? So he's talking. Is it nice when that happens? It's nice. Because I happen to just be the fly on the wall behind yeah. you guys. And all of a sudden, the tone of the thing changed, and he's asking He's probably drilling down and asking you questions. So, 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 what does that feel like years after the fact when someone's still using the product? Because that is great. Listen, as a founder of StockTwits, we have millions of users. It's fun to randomly hear someone say they use they use the product. Look, it's it's always wonderful to hear that people are using the product, and I really have countless stories of businesses that you know were built on Magento, grew, you know, thrived. But the entire ecosystem, it's not just the merchants, it's the service providers, it's its all those people that Magento has impacted over the years. It's been, you know, really exciting to uh, to keep tabs of it and just understand the impact that the product has had across the world. Um, even last night, I got a text from um, a community manager that used to work for me. His name right. is Ben Marks, and, and Ben now works for um, a competitor. And a competitor, you mean Shopify? Uh, no, no, actually a company <laughs> out of uh, Germany. Um, okay. And Ben texted me a photo of a group of people in a bar in Romania. Turns mm-hmm. out that there was a Magento event in Romania last night, and they all got together to talk about Magento. So Ben texted me and said to me, uh, here's a uh, photo that shows that your product is still very much loved uh, by so many out there. Yeah. So look, it's always great to see it, and I've had just uh, the opportunity to meet incredible people over the years that Magento's made an impact in their life, and it's it's always great. What does Magento mean? You know, it's it's the funniest story. So I was trying to figure three out three syllable words, probably not great. Well, I, you know, I was trying to find out a name. Uh, really, kind of, you know, go through the process of of, of naming this product. And at the time, we had a services company named Varian. It was a services company 2000 focusing in uh, 2006, roughly that timeline. And we had um, had been providing services in e-commerce for many years by then. Um, and the color of the logo was the color magenta. And it took us months to figure out a name until I literally just wrote on the whiteboard the, the, you know, the word magenta crossed over the A and added the O, and that's the entire Magento story. And it was available for 10 It was available, uh, sorry, no, it wasn't available for many years. It was magentocommerce.com. Huh. 
Um, so, we, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and we ended up buying it. The domain expired. I, we could never get in touch with the owner. Um, it was you know, not really not in use, um, and there was very little Google search results for it. Um, so eventually the domain expired and we were able to, to buy it. Um, but it's as simple as that. We just gave up on naming and decided to use Magento, which was the best thing we could think of at the time. Huh. And so it didn't mean anything with e-commerce or anything? Nope. No, no, no. And if you were to do it today, is name important? Like, as you think, because our score is you, Roy and Roy, so it's cute. Right. Uh, I always think about Stockton and go, oh, I never thought 15 years later, 17 years, it'd still be I, my company. So I didn't think much of the name if you were to start another company today. I got to tell you, I think that there is a good enough um, sort of line there. I, I don't think it matters all that much. I think if the product is great and the service is fantastic, then people tend to remember the name. Uh, unless it's something horrible and definitely, you know, definitely stands out for some reason. But, you know, we were under the premise, by the way, the logo, the same thing. I never loved the logo, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to move forward and not focus on, you know, things that I believed at the time weren't that meaningful uh, as far as um, projecting what the success may be. So the name, the logo were good enough. I moved on and we, you know, had bigger problems to go solve, which were to continue honing in on the product. You, you're born where? I was born in Israel, right. but I moved to the States when I was nine. Right. And then you went back to do military. Yeah. When I was 18, I had a little crisis, identity crisis. Am yeah. I Israeli? Am I American? Uh, and I decided to go back and serve in the military for three years. And so did your wife? My wife separately did the same. We were friends back then. Yeah. Uh, we knew each other. Yeah. And now your parents moved back and are there. My parents, when I was 18, said, you're not going to do this on your own. We're coming with you. And they also moved back. And they're still there. And you come back to the U.S. to school. And what, what was the inclination with e-commerce? Because, you know, were yeah. you, a, you were a geek. So I wasn't a geek. I was a computer guy in the military. I served in, in, in a combat unit, but I did have a little bit of a touch to computers. And when I left, my father helped me get a job at Microsoft in Israel. Mm -hmm. I was a, just a support person. I was doing this on the side while going to college in Israel. Right. Um, so you were like 21? I was 21, yep. And I was just doing technical support for, at the time, Windows 3.11. Yeah, if you remember those days. Yeah. Windows 95 came out. I was and that probably was, calling. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? what? How do you, what? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we were still doing, you know, at the time Windows 95 came out, and we were still still doing installations with the 3.11 floppy disks, wow. if you remember. Hours um, and hours, I do. You don't forget things. The like small that. ones, by the way, not the big ones. Yeah. Um, so I did that, and then I moved back to the States, uh, went to college here in the States, and didn't really have any money. So, you know, needed to make some money to pay rent and started to pick up some programming skills on the side. Where would well, you learn that? Yeah, so Can't learn it online. You, yeah. you know, you go to Barnes and & Noble and, and Borders at the time, which is not existing now. Um, and you'd pick up a big, big, thick book about HTML and, you know, and JavaScript. Um, and that's how I learned to program. Mm -hmm. My language of choice was, uh, was Perl, if you remember. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I got started. But at the time, I was kind of doing everything. I was doing content management. I was doing, you know, just websites, forms, all this kind of stuff. And I started to play with e-commerce. Um, and I thought that there was something there. I read an article in a magazine that said, hey, to be successful in business, you have to focus. And I looked at everything that I was doing at the time, and I said, well, if I have to focus, 
I should focus on e-commerce because that's the real growing part of the market that was so fresh and new. So I downloaded an open source e-commerce tool that was available then, and I started to tinker with it and learn. And that was the start of my e-commerce journey. So it was grabbing your, it, it open source yourself that led to the open source idea of Magento? Oh, yeah, yes. So I, for me, what was accessible at the time, I couldn't really afford any software. Mm-hmm. So open source was really the way to go. Um, and downloading that open source package, you know, that had quite a following in the market by then already, really provided an opportunity to go build a business around it. And I was fortunate that Google Ads just came out, and I would place an ad for a, um, you know, keywords like um, open source e-commerce services, and I'd get enough business for six months within a couple of days. I'd shut off the ad, and I scaled that to about 30 people. Hang on. So you would take, uh, just explain to me because I still don't know how to do this. So you would be selling your service. It's a, yeah, it was yeah. a services business. So merchants who were offline at the time yeah. called and said, God. we're interested in coming online. What yeah. do we do? How do we do it? And that's the types of services that we provided. And so when did the switch do to make it more? Well, obviously, Magento was that type of product. You always had a, the services were built around it. Well, Magento came out of our growth as a services company and reaching a limit to what the existing open source uh, technologies at the time were able to provide. Got it. And we felt like we could build something new. Now, being part of the open source community for so many years in the e-commerce space, we knew that there were some gaps as far as, as, far as a modern open source technology stack. Mm-hmm. And we could build for that and really solve problems for merchants, for this next generation of merchants that we felt were coming online. When did you know that Magento was going to be a thing? So relatively early on, because what happened was we, we shifted from services to product, and mm-hmm. we literally fired all of our service customers because I knew that I can't do both, right? Because if, you, if, you know, if you're trying to do both at the same time, you are sharing resources, and that's never a good thing when you're trying to build product. You really yeah. need to be focused on the task at hand. So when and eventually, wouldn't these services people just build, be able to build their own businesses on top of Magento? Yeah, so eventually yeah. there was an, you know, a very successful ecosystem that was built on top of it. But at the time, I needed to focus, and I moved basically all of my service engineers into building product for Magento. Got it. Um, and what I found is that I'm really not doing anything and I'm not productive. And I was really bored, huh. right? Because all these guys were sitting and coding yeah. and I'm just trying to find what to do with, you know, with myself throughout the day. Uh-huh. So what I started to do is actually share what's happening behind the scenes. And I launched a blog mm. and I took videos. This was pre-YouTube. This was mm. very early on. I'd use my Canon pocket you know, you're, digital camera. You're, you're, you're a camera buff. Yeah. I mean, we're riding and there's pictures of me all over the place. And I'm like, what? I can't even stay on my bike. I get nervous getting water out of my thing when I put my head down. <laughs> He's firing off one click shots with this. So, yeah. So, you were a buff. Then. Yeah. So, I was just, you know, I was, I was showing folks what we were doing through blog posts and sharing wireframes. Like on WordPress or just on Google Blogger? Um, I, yeah, I guess WordPress. I think it was WordPress. Mm-hmm. Um, we were sharing, you know, a lot of what we were doing behind the scenes. And I was interviewing the engineers. And my goal was to do about three to four blog posts every single day, wow. which is hard because you have to f- find content. But mm-hmm. that was what I was doing for 
for a good few months. But what started to happen very early on, you know, we were building in the open before that was even a thing. Right. What started to really happen is we start to get hundreds of comments for every single post. Hmm. And people would start to talk about giving us feedback and sharing how commerce was done in different parts of the world and really educating us in what we need to think about as we're building the product. Mm. So when I started to really get a sense that there was a lot of interest for it, it all really started with the blog comments and the community we built around that. I knew that there was a lot of demand for a product like this. And it was just phenomenal because the night that we launched, we made the open source package available. Remember, this is pre-cloud. Right. Our delivery so to our customers. So you would have to leave it where? On a server somewhere? We, had, like, we delivered a zip file. That was Magento, you know, ultimately, right? It's crazy to think in the cloud world today that, um, that you know, those, those years existed. But we just, you know, we just basically gave out a link to a zip file. Um, but when that happened, um, I remember we were up until two or three in the morning and we worked very hard. The, the team was exceptional and we put in, you know, many, many hours, you know, all through the night, you know, oftentimes to make sure that we hit the deadlines that we promised the community uh, we'd hit. Um, and it was just incredible to see that first day because we were getting hammered with downloads. Right. It was beautiful. Yeah. Did you ever, I can't remember, you didn't raise VC money or you raised a little bit? No, at the time we did not raise any money. Uh, this was 2000. So when we released the beta version, it was 2007. It was all there was plenty of VC money. There was, there was, but you know, I was this kid in LA and I yeah. didn't really know any VCs at the time, to be mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never really and you weren't getting inbound. Raising. I, so I started to get inbound after the product. Is it because released. open source wasn't thought to have a business model or at the time it did at the time there were a few, a few successful companies, um, mm -hmm. around two, two, 2007, 2008, Sun acquired MySQL for a billion dollars. Oh. I think that was the big moment that saw open source, you know, really begin to sort of be on the map. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a few venture-backed open source companies under a commercial open source model. Right. Um, and, th and that's really the key, uh, the commercial open source model, which we were um, obviously, um, you know, coming to market with. Uh, yeah, and it just, it, it took off and, and I started to get some inbound after, but the company was bootstrapped up until 2009 when PayPal called and, you Dude, know. Was it Elon or Peter that called? Or they no. were already owned by eBay? Uh, sorry, who are, who are those guys? <laughs> yeah. Elon who? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, PayPal was introduced to us by, by, by But VC. were they already owned by eBay? They were owned by eBay. Yep. Scott Thompson was running it. Right. Um, and Scott and I met, and they ultimately invested in the company. Oh, they invested first. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is 2008, 2009. The market I mean, was crashing. It was just, you know, the great financial crisis. We mm -hmm. thought that, uh, you know, life would come to an end. Magento had, at the time, about three months of runway. <gasps> yeah. Really? Okay. Because when we launched the product, it was free and open source. So we had a thriving product Got with it. a lot of demand. But it took us about 12 to 18 months to kind of settle down on a revenue model. Got it. And a business case for it. Yeah. And so they come in and they put in some capital. They put in some Did capital. Did you have any inkling that they would want to buy it? Well, Scott told me. I mean, I'll tell you what Scott told me. Scott told me, I want to buy this, but my team is going to fuck it up. Ah. So I'm not going to buy it. Quite pressure. We'll, uh, we'll invest and you do what you do. Yeah. Uh, and he was great. And we... Um, Where's he now? I don't know, actually. So Scott... Um, he had a good run. He had a good run. 
and he left for Yahoo, and that was a short Eesh. thing. Bad career move. Yeah, and then Shop Runner, he worked for Michael Rubin for a few years. the one with the fake resume? No, who had the fake resume at Yahoo? Alleged. I, I don't know the details, but oh, I think him? Yeah, him. Yeah. But good guy. Good guy. And so he does the investment, buggers off, and then so how does the deal happen? So, well, he, the deal closed before he left. Okay, so he closed the deal. He closed the deal. Uh, this was right after the GSI acquisition, which was a big acquisition. Wow, GSI Commerce? Yeah. Uh, what's Michael the name? Rubin. Rubin. Yeah. 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 What a small world, man. Yeah. Rubin has been doing this forever, but yeah. so have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <sighs> Michael, um, you know, he was running GSI from Philadelphia. Yep. And I flew over to Philadelphia to meet him because at the time- I mean, he's got to be, he's younger than you maybe still. No, I think same he's age. a little bit older. Okay. Um, when I had met him, he was like a 17-year-old yeah, wonder kid. phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, so I flew over to meet Michael right when we got started. I think GSI was looking for- That was a great company. Product. It, was, it was a very interesting company. A lot of services bundled with yeah. product. Was- um, but we, you know, we got to meet the GSI team early on. And you know, we loved them. And then we ended up being together at eBay. Um, which, you know, brought us even closer. In fact, I mean, we were- murderer's row. Oh, you were going to say- No, no I'm saying, uh, you know, in, in, in fact, we were under the same division, the eBay Enterprise Division. So there was a lot of commingling over time between GSI and Magento. So there was murderer's row of entrepreneurs at eBay. Is that that moment in time when eBay, just because of commerce, they just had all the smart people? Or was it just because that's the only real business that was on the internet at the time? What was it that, that was in the water that it was just so many- gone on to do I, other great things. I think that. eBay at the time, eBay and PayPal at the time were making, you know, a series of acquisitions. Yeah, because so they bought th- rent.com luckily, which was I was an investor. That was before. In. So there's a period of time where they brought in a number of us. David Marcus sold Zong uh, roughly around what that time. What was that time. called? Um, Zong, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, GSI was acquired. Magenta was acquired. Uh, Jack PayPal Abraham. was acquired. Well, that, that, that was well before. Yeah. But there was a moment oh, in Jack time. Oh, Jack Abraham yeah, was, yeah. He came in as well with uh, Milo, if I'm not mistaken. Was yeah. his, uh, that was, was a smaller company. acquisition, but was he was so young. Chris Dixon came in oh, uh, at right. the time as well. Hutch or Hunch. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember the name. Yeah. Um, but there was a whole bunch of really smart you know, entrepreneurs at eBay around 2010, So what would everybody just sit around and go, why are we here? Would everybody just sit around and like, come up with other ideas? Because everyone has gone on to do like... I mean, I wish that was the case. I, I think, you know, we came in and it was not the easiest of, you know, integrations. Right. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the, you know, ultimately there was a ton of talent on the team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was an exciting time to be, to be part of it. So now the cool part, I don't know if we can talk about it. So then you get a call. You leave or do you get a call from private equity? No, so I leave. And this is 2014. This after, is the coolest part when you do things twice. Yeah. Company. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I leave and, and I take a year and a half off. I, I just literally. Oh, right. That's when you travel. I travel. travel. I take my kids out of school and I'm gone now for 14 months just traveling because I, I really needed to disconnect. Yeah. It was a long, long haul for me. Um, and I come back and at the time um, eBay, you know, there's chatter about eBay spinning off PayPal. Um, and also the eBay Enterprise Division, which is now Magento, GSI, and some other assets that they've, that they've acquired. Mm-hmm. And, and I get a call from a private equity company, which tries to buy this group of eBay Enterprise uh, yeah. solutions, and they're not successful. But another private equity company, Primera Capital, was successful and acquired Magento. 
and uh, Mark Lavelle, um, who was running Magento at the time, ultimately leads. Um, uh, Did you bring in Lavelle? No, Lavelle was, was an eBay head, guy. He was an eBay guy. He was one of the founders of Build Me Later. Um, wow. And he, he, yeah, so he led M&A for eBay yep. and then ran Magento for a period of time. Yep. Um, and then when the private equity company Primera acquired Magento, he led the company now as a private company. Yep. And Mark called me and said, hey, I think it's, um, you know, I'd love to see you back uh, on the board. Wow. And that's when I came back. So you come back to the board. How long did it take to then reboot it? Not reboot it because it's still growing. Because, like I said, we were in France a couple of weeks ago and people yep. were talking Magento. So, so you you buy it back. Was it cool to take it back from eBay? Was it friendly in that sense? Yeah, no, it was very friendly. Yeah. And it's look, it's it's super cool because I'm a product guy, yeah. and you know, sitting on the board, you know, what I really cared about is just continued innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Magento has its history and its roots in open source and in on premise. Mm-hmm. I was very excited to help the team transition out to the cloud. Yeah. And I have a lot, sort of, at the time, I had a lot of thoughts. I still do a lot of thoughts about what the cloud means yeah. for this, you know, type of a solution. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, trying to work with the board and the team to get and us there. When was the first time you heard the word Shopify? So Shopify, do you remember where you were, or did you dismiss it immediately, or did they nail it from the beginning? I can't remember. No, it took for it took Shopify That's many. That's what I remember because they were Canadian. It took many years. It was under many, the radar, even as a public company. So you know, I don't know exactly when they started, but you know, all through the period that Magento was was really climbing very very quickly, Shopify was nowhere to be found. It was it was a you know a little ant you know right. in comparison to what. Magento was in the market. But uh, they back were cloud-based. They were multi-tenant-based from very early on. Okay. Um, and But they really catered to the smallest of smallest of merchants. I mean, right. just, just tiny, tiny merchants. For many years, I remember, they did not have user accounts. So every time you checked out, you needed to put in all your details over and over again. Wow. That was in the early days. Wow. Um, Magento gets acquired in 2011. We are now trying to figure Second out- Second time. First time. Oh, first time. First time, sorry. Yep. And we're trying to figure out um, how to work with eBay. eBay at the time had a developer platform strategy with X.com, actually, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. <laughs> um, so we're, we're busy. And, you know, there's a big transformation to the cloud, which I think was the tailwind, us coming out of the market. And the movement to the cloud that happened around that timeline was really the tailwind that they needed to kind of accelerate and press on the gas. And they've been just, you know, doing an incredible job since. Wow. So now how long did it take from you buying it back then to getting acquired by Adobe? So it was acquired, I believe, in 2016. I came on the board a few months later, uh-huh. and the acquisition uh, happened in 2018. So about two years, I would say. Yeah, and she so sold it the first time for three, $400 million? Um, Never disclosed. Okay. Damn, we tried. The, uh, <laughs> and then the second time, what did Adobe pay? Is that disclosed? Um, high one? I think it was, yeah, high ones. Did Adobe want you to come on ever or no? No, no. I never had a relationship right. with uh, Adobe. At the time. Okay. So, and so today, how big is Magento, do you think? And has Adobe, do you think, done a good job? I mean, it sounds like it. I mean, Adobe has invested in the product. I think they've you know, done a great job in integrating it with its product line. Does it make sense that they own it? I think so. I really, okay. I, you know, I think so. I've been out of the loop now for, yeah. I would say, you when know. When you think of Adobe, you think Creative Cloud. So what does Magento have to do with that? It's more e-commerce. Creative Cloud is one business that Adobe has. You know, they have the analytics business with Omniture. The marketing, I guess. And marketing and content. So they, you know, they're definitely playing across the entire spectrum of 
you know, creative to, uh, you know, to marketing and content and, and now commerce. Uh-huh. So it does make, you know, a lot of sense. The, you know, the question is, is it really in their DNA? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I guess. So who's the customer today? There's Cafe de Cyclist using. So who's the customer today? I, you tell me it's more European. I for, and, well, but. so the customer, I mean, it's an interesting mix because of the roots of open source, right? Starting at the SMB now really have moved, you know, last 10 years up market to the enterprise. It's really anyone and everyone still. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fair question is, who is the customer today given the success of the cloud? Yeah. Shopify. Um, And I think it's those businesses that have some very unique requirements that make it very difficult for them to really live in a multi-tenant. Give me one example. So, you know, deep integration into ERPs and order management systems that require, you know, today there's a lot of APIs, of course, by by pretty much everybody out there. That's just a fancy word But but for many years, you couldn't really, you know, get the data in and out as easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had some custom needs around the front end as well. So, for example, if you had some really you know, sophisticated customization capabilities for products that you, you know, that you listed, um, et cetera. Um, these are things that would be more difficult to do in a multi-tenant environment. Mm-hmm. Um, today, the multi-tenant platforms, Shopify and the others, um, are much more sophisticated. So I think they offer, you know, a plethora of services that weren't existing sort of back in the day. Um, but Magento historically has succeeded where there were requirements that were a bit out of the box. Right, that's what Magento was really strong at. So you never took VC money, but now you're a VC. So I became a VC because the knuckleheads I did a deal with one time on Golf Now, Knut, and I was like, well, if that idiot can be a VC, then I should be a VC. So you didn't know the idiots, so what made you... Well, I knew the idiots somewhat, I have to say, because <laughs> well, you, I, did. I was leading you to not say idiots, yeah, but I it know, is great that you did. Um, we had a few term sheets, yeah. right, you know, for Magento over the years, from VCs. Yeah. We did not choose to you know, to take them, but we had, you know, obviously gone through some processes um, and, you know, and went through through this game. So we do have that experience. Yeah, you have the experience. So what makes you come off the bat? You take the, I mean, listen, very few people could do what you did to take your kids and travel around the world, which is a miracle. It's a fucking miracle. Yeah, Because most people in this country are like, okay, we got to save for retirement and then they're too old to do anything. That's been the biggest lie of the last generation brought on by Schwab. And, you know, they're selling you a formula. Follow the formula. The pot of gold at the end is your retirement money. Oh, but by the way, you have cancer. And oh, by the way, you're fat and you have to go on a cruise but I gotta tell and you're you, going to get COVID. I, I was always a contrarian because for me, you know, once we sold the company and I spent my time, you know, at eBay, when I left, I said, what is the purpose of, you know, having this opportunity to now do whatever it is that I want. Yeah. And a lot of my colleagues and friends, you know, just went back into, into the rabbit race, right? They went back into building companies and being an entrepreneur. And I said, you know, I don't really know my family. You know, mm-hmm. here's an opportunity that I have to do something different. I've always done something different across my life. Mm-hmm. This Can is you be sure it's your family since you didn't know them? Well, like, did you take the right family? <laughs> we did a DNA check. <laughs> Wouldn't that before. be crazy? Yeah. So, so anyway, so you had this chance. Yeah. So, you know, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to go through this rabbit race. I'm, I'm good with what I have and I'm very happy. And I have an opportunity now to, you know, spend this time again with, you know, the family that I've just been so busy for, for all these years and I've traveled extensively and I just was never home. And I said, what's important to me in life? And it was my family. And, and I, I, I just said, I have to do this and I have to stop. You, you know, stop with this rat race. Oh, you know, although opportunities came to me, yeah. You know, I mean, really interesting opportunities came to me all throughout this time. I just said, I'm out. I, I'm I'm not playing this game. So, mm-hmm. 
that's a bit contrarian, I feel, because a lot of folks just go right back at it. And to me, it's, it's a bit irrational, I have to say. It's a bit irrational. When you go to South of France, you see that nobody works. And when I mean nobody, I mean nobody. Uh, and you just don't see them upset about anything. I'm sure they are. They're French. But they don't seem upset. Um, I don't get it the American way in many ways. And maybe I'm just lucky that I see the world through that lens. But uh, I feel so many more people inspired by like me doing my trips. And I'm like, guys, you should do it. You don't have to spend like I spent. Amen to that, I have to say. People, you know, always look and say, I wish that was me. And they have the means to do it. It's just Everyone a matter of priority in life. Just leave. Yeah. But anyways, people can't. I don't know. All you can do is like, uh, is live your life. So now you come back full circle. Let's talk quickly. I just want to do this. At least we set a base because you guys were both on the last time and I've met your partner. Yep. But this now at least sets a base to have further conversations down the road about the future because you are uh, tapped in. You are like, you're connected, meaning you're not always online, but whenever I see you interact with technology, I go, fuck, I'm an idiot. Why do I even bother? I just talked to Roy or talk to Yoni. You know, I know who to talk to. So... How do you stay so connected? What are the products that matter to you? Look, I mean, I, I read a ton, right? So, and, and I consume content. I'm an avid consumer of content. Um, so, you know, for me, you know, Twitter um, still is, I have to say, you know, a me great too. source of yeah. content. Tons of podcasts. I listen all the time. Really? I, I force myself to listen because I think there's so much knowledge out there. There really I is. And I wonder what's going to happen now. And I, I don't have an answer for this, but I just wonder with AI. Yeah. Because I actually, you know, my problem is there's not enough hours in the day to consume the content. Right. Especially in podcasts, which is, which is, right. you know, it takes I a bit longer. I consume three regularly. They're all comedy and I don't have the time. I wonder if we can start to get this in an aggregated, abbreviated way where they can start to cut maybe the, the, the interesting bits that are interesting to me, mm-hmm. you know, um, across multiple podcasts. Well, then the show would be called Panic with Canute. And I wouldn't even be in the show. Well, so we, we did that. I was a compliment, Knut. <laughs> we questioned before we came <laughs> yeah. in. And Knut got, got very upset. Knut's <laughs> <laughs> like, I, can you, we question Knut's being immediately. Yeah. I believe that ChatGPT4 just makes me more valuable. Technologies never scare me. When I watched Downton Abbey, I think of it as a tech show. When I watch Fauda, I think of it as a tech show. Everything to me is like, man, they've already thought of this shit. Like... The movies have this stuff 30 years before it happens. There's people in Hollywood that are smarter than everybody. The creators. So someone had to create ChatGPT4 to put the machines together to do all this anyways. So humans are actually, in my opinion, ahead. Therefore, I'm ahead of the computers. But AI is just, no one was expecting it, were they? You know, there's been talk about this for years. I get it. Um, But there was no, Bitcoin, they keep saying, well, all we need is a killer app. Right. AI they were talking about, but no one was saying, oh, just wait. There'll be a killer app. The killer app was the first app. You know, it's another way to look at this is ChatGPT is really the first interface that brought to life this technology that's been talked about for many years. Right. Okay. It is the killer app, you know, it's in many ways. It's a killer prompt. It's like search. It, yes. But my, my question is, you know, do you want to be prompting all day? I mean, not I'm not me. sure that I do. I, I, right? I do it so rarely. Right. So... I still think we're, we're, we're very early on because yeah. the input, I, I just don't see people typing prompts all day long. That, that, like, that doesn't sound to me like a whole bunch of innovation 
where we start typing paragraphs or whatever it is to basically get answers. So on the dark side, like what's the dark side of AI? What's the darkest way it's going to be used? Because isn't that all we're thinking about? I assume the U.S. government's thinking about who's the darkest mind and how they're going to use it. As a smart person, what should we be worried about? I think it's self-learning systems that can adapt, right? I mean, to me, that is just very scary to think that thought. First time I saw AutoGPT with Yoni, it was code. Like, there wasn't something that I could interface with. Right. He said, come to my basement. This is Yoni. This is like a regular Tuesday. Yeah, I sat with a friend Friday night, and he walked me through it. He actually installed it on my computer, you know, walked me through the entire thing. You know, it's very much a geek product still, but, you know, I'm sure there's... The computer was thinking. Again, it felt like Dossie. He was typing. And he goes, watch this. And he would send instructions into the ether. And it was, you could hear the machines just working. Right. And it was writing a business plan for us. I gave him an idea and I said, let's write a business plan. And how would we do this? And what would the marketing look like? And how would you get the influence? It was just doing this shit. Right. Like an army being sent out. And it freaked me out. Yeah. So I, I, th- that's, that's really exciting, you know, in some ways, but also really scary in other ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know how this plays out. I have to tell you, I'm still scratching my head because it's moving so fast. Yeah. And every single day, I feel like I'm learning something new. Um, you know, this pace of evolution is really what's scary here because we, we, we all are starting to feel like we're in a race. And if we don't keep up, if we miss a couple of days, I mean, <laughs> you know. I literally have never felt more at peace with missing because it's only six months. So I've seen this rodeo. And obviously, I don't know that you've seen compressed. this, Howard. This no, we haven't seen this rare, but I've seen the compression. The compression is real. There's different forms of compression. We're in valuation compression because of interest rates, but now there's compression in technology, right? And Downton Abbey, it took decades for the sewing machine to take off. And today, it took six months with the right interface for ChatGPT to reach a million users with no growth hacking. The growth hack was a great product. Used. Yeah. People used it. Your right. kids are using it in school. No one told them to use it. They're using it. And they're using it in a way to, like, not get caught. They've already figured out that's the only game is don't get caught. Right. So they don't take away our toy. And I was telling you about Rachel. It's like, what do you think about TikTok? She goes, we already have workarounds with VPN. So right. it's like you snooze, you lose. It's all happening. As I was telling you before, my son, who's a 10th grader, is getting, like, a 95% in his English class. And he's he's terrible at it. I mean, don't yeah. tell him I, I said this. He'll probably hear this. But, you know. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, I mean, you know, it's largely thanks to ChatGPT. Right. So I said to him, I said, who's getting below 90? You right. know, <laughs> yeah. like, I actually want to know who that is because it seems like there's a problem there. Right. Yeah. And, but the teachers aren't going to complain because now they can say their students are doing 90s. The right. system is kind of broken, as we talked about. So knowing that, how do you think about you're in fund two? Yeah. Give me one company that like excites you because you mainly invest in Israel. We invest about 60% uh, in Israel. And we are LPs, full disclosure. Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah, so 60% of our investments are in Israel. We invested in this one company called Flexspace, uh-huh. which is really trying to solve this, um, you know, scenario in which in a hybrid work environment, we're going to be part in office. I mean, I'm still going back. I guess this, this is a little bit old school now, now that with, with, with AI, mm-hmm. um, but in a, in a hybrid environment where, you know, there's obviously a big push now to coming back into the office for a few days a week. Um, Flexspace takes all the inventory from the Flexspace providers out there, the WeWorks of the world, brings it online and allows enterprises now to consume office space almost like hotels, almost like, like 
almost like units, right? So for example, if you have a team that is traveling to Chicago and needs an office for a day, you we are space. able to give it across flex space providers integrated into the employee's calendars mm. so they can see, they can together choose which office space they want. Mm. And the employers have one contract that they sign on a month-to-month basis, depending on how they want to consume the actual service by from us. By seat or by office? By or seat by... or by office, yeah, depending on how they want it. Pretty genius. How yeah. old is that company? So that company is about two years old. Um, that's in Fund we, 1. That's in Fund 1 and Fund 2. We preceded it. Uh, mm-hmm. We worked very closely with the founder. I'm an investor. Okay, so yeah, Flexspace.com? Flexspace.com. Uh, Flexspace is a dot .com? It's okay. People will find Flexspace, it. I'll Google put it in it. the notes. Yeah. So how often are you going to Israel? So we try to go to Israel once a quarter. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, either together or, you know, or separately, but we, you know, we love spending time with the ecosystem there and we have, you know, a lot of really close and great relationships with the venture community as well. So it's, it's so fun when, when we hang out there. All right. Well, uh, this has been great. Canute, any other questions? No, I mean, you guys have covered a lot of stuff. Covered a lot of ground. Uh, now we've got a base for which to talk about R squared. So R squared is just you and Roy, Roy and Roy. It's the two of us. And you're writing seed checks. Pre-seed and seed. Yeah. Uh, investing out of fund two, uh, which is a $32 million fund. R squared is, a, is a, you know, a little different than most pre-seed funds in that it's an extension of our angel investing um, right. experience. We're operators at heart. Mm-hmm. We roll up our sleeves and we spend a lot of times with the teams that we support. And if you were to say like a category, what, what gets you the most excited? But you know, when you see a founder, how do you know? Like, when, when do you know, you know, we're always wrong, but when you've had that feeling, what is it? Look, we, we, we look for strong domain expertise. You know, we look for deep problems that have big markets. We look for a founding team that is hungry, driven. Um, they are in it for the long run, right? Yeah. Very easy for us to spot that, I think, in the DNA coming out of Israel, mm-hmm. just because of our Israeli orientation. Uh, my co-founder in the fund, my partner, and I are from Israel. And, you know, when we see teams coming from those markets, we obviously can identify fairly quickly. Um, and, but, you know, we funded a great deal of, you know, companies here in the United States. And we have some great companies in our portfolio that we absolutely love. And you're having fun doing it. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's, it's not for everybody, but it seems like you're really enjoying it. So you don't have the urge to start something or do you? We don't have the urge. Um, I mean, uh, personally, look, I, I, you know, I look around. I, you know, I know how difficult it is, and I know the amount of sweat, you know, equity you have to put into it, and and time away from the family, and and I think where I am in life right now, it's 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 harder to to give that up. So it's our score adventures. Uh, Roy Rubin, thanks, man. Thanks for coming to town. Thank you. You are listening to Panic with Friends. Canute and I get together with people like Roy, investors, traders, entrepreneurs, founders, mainly in tech, but obviously we love the financial world too, trying to get a little bit ahead of the world, help people find and ride trends. Uh, you can search my name, Howard Lindzen, uh, or Panic with Friends on Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple, uh, you will uh, see my name. You subscribe, tell your friends, and you will get a podcast. You want us to do any work, you'll get a podcast every week. Thanks, Knut, and we'll see everybody next week. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. 
All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of social leverage or stock twits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.